Good morning, Risen Hope. It's wonderful to see you, on, at least virtually, today. Uh, I'd like to pray real quick before we get started, just ask for the Lord's help. Lord in heaven, you are just amazing, all-powerful, all-knowing, wonderful God, and you've given us so much. Thank you for um, this church and these people. Thank you for the ability to still be able to connect, at least digitally, here on Sunday morning, God. And I pray that... Um, that your word would be made clear here this morning and that you could just help me get out of the way and that these truths would just be speak directly to the hearts of all the people listening. In Jesus' name we ask. So Jeremy uh, spent some time introducing me before this, but just in case you don't know me, I'm J.T. Kimball, and it's uh, my pleasure to be speaking to you this morning. I'm not your usual speaker, that's Jeremy, but we're in the middle of a sermon series here called The Risen King. Uh, last week, you heard from David Menenberg as he talked about the passion of the risen king. Next week, Lord willing, you'll be hearing from Jeremy speak about the power of the risen king. This week, I have the privilege of covering the promise of the risen king. This is not your usual Easter series, as we're not walking through uh, the text um, in the order that you'd read it in the Gospels. However, by God's grace, and it really was God's grace because we did not plan it this way, we came together uh, separately and started talking, and it turns out that we had something where um, we ended up covering the story in true order, so to say, as the passion of the risen king leads to the fulfillment of his promise, which then ushers in the revelation of his power. So, but before I get into this glorious promise, I want to acknowledge what today is and set some context. Today is Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Jesus' death and resurrection. On this day, 2,000 years ago, Jesus rolled, rode a colt through the Kidron Valley down into Jerusalem. And this is the same way that great kings of the past had also done so, like Solomon. This would have been something where the people of Jerusalem would have seen this and recognized it, it would have kind of brought back memories of stories they'd heard about the triumphant entries of different kings of the past coming back. It was truly a marvelous scene and a really glorious one that was full of praise. And as you may remember, the people were praising and singing and glorifying God and praising Jesus as he rode in. It was even so, so glorious that there were some Pharisees who tried to shut it down and try to quiet the people. And Jesus responded to them saying, I tell you, if these were silent, referring to the people, the very stones would cry out. And so Palm Sunday began Jesus's week of teaching in Jerusalem, including some deep teaching of his disciples. This was also Jesus's last week alive as a human on this earth. The disciples would have a hard time understanding Jesus's words and actions this week, asking questions like, where was he going? Why couldn't they come? And how in the world could the Messiah die? In John chapters 14 through 16, we see Jesus in a dialogue with his apostles after they had the Last Supper. They're talking back and forth and they, you know, as he's teaching them, they're also asking him questions. And some of the questions they ask him are, what's going to happen to you, Jesus? Can we, can we go with you? And what's going to happen after you leave? Four times in this talk, Jesus tells his apostles that he must leave. And when he does, God's going to send them a helper. Other translations use the word counselor, comforter, or advocate. These all sound like wonderful things, but... Honestly, those titles can't even begin to sum up the reality of what Jesus is actually promising, which is the Holy Spirit will be coming. If you are able, please turn your Bibles to John chapter 16, verse 7. 
this is the fourth time in Jesus' um, dialogue and discussion with the apostles. It's the fourth time that he speaks of the Holy Spirit um, and speaks of him coming. So starting at verse 7 of John chapter 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Just, wow, there's, there is a lot there to unpack. And I'm not sure which part particularly maybe caught your eye as you were reading that. But for me, the thing that really stuck with me and I kept asking myself over and over again is, how can Jesus, the Son of God and our Savior, the only reason that we have any hope in this world, how can he say that it's better for him to leave than for him to stay here. It's just a wild thing. I'm sure his apostles were wondering the same thing. So it's a wild statement, but it's also referring to a wild reality that we all will be given a gift, God's own spirit to live within us and guide every step of our life. Why do we need that gift? It's so that we can do the good work of the gospel, the ministry that God has called us to. In Acts 1, before he ascends, Jesus tells his disciples, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus spent three years training his apostles and many others he came across about God's true word and enabling them to share it with those in their lives and around them. But those three years of church training were actually not sufficient, and it wasn't because they didn't receive good teaching, or that they weren't good students. Before they could begin, they must receive the Holy Spirit, and only then could they proceed out into the world with the necessary power and wisdom to declare Jesus' glorious name. However, before they could receive this gift, the Holy Spirit, Jesus had to depart. In order for Jesus to get to the Father, he had to die on the cross, be resurrected, and ascend to his Father in heaven. There was no other path. Without him dying, being resurrected, and then ascending, he could not get to the Father and then send us the Helper. So let's look at what the indwelling of the Holy Spirit did for Jesus' disciples. For three years, they spent time with him and learned from him. Yet, oftentimes, it's kind of seemed like they didn't get it, right? Like, I've read it many t- the Gospels many times, and I find myself saying, like, how, how can they not see what Jesus is saying? How can they not see what's going on here? And, of course, we all have the benefit of hindsight. We have the whole of Scripture and 2,000 years to look back on and, uh, and many teachers to learn from. But it's not really that. It's, and it's also not because Jesus wasn't a great teacher or they weren't capable men. It was because they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. As soon as they received the Spirit in Acts chapter 2, you see them change entirely. And that's really the beginning of their ministry. 
just as Jesus' ministry began in earnest in Luke chapter 3 when he received the Holy Spirit. The same is true for all of us. If we have faith in Jesus Christ and we treasure him, then we know that we have the Holy Spirit and we will be equipped for the good work of ministry, just as we see all throughout the New Testament. I don't want to simply speak in generalities, though, so let's enumerate three ways, that three of the awesome ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And I know that there's way more than three ways that the Holy Spirit works in our lives, but we're just going to focus for the sake of time on three of the amazing ways that the Holy Spirit works in us. The first is that the Holy Spirit gives us power. This is what the apostles experienced after Pentecost. Um, there's one example I want to look at here, which is when they prayed for power and boldness in Acts chapter 4, starting at verse 29. This was after they'd been arrested and interrogated by the leaders of Jerusalem, and then subsequently they were released. They came together and they started praying. So starting in the middle of their prayer in verse 29, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were given, giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. All of the disciples had spent time praising Jesus, sharing his name with others in the time since he descended, and they get, were given the Holy Spirit. However, they still knew where their strength came from, and they turned back to God and asked for more power and boldness after these experiences. And what happened? The very place they were in was shaken, and then they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The Holy Spirit had empowered them to effectively proclaim the resurrected Jesus. And honestly, I, I don't think we can comprehend this power. Um, it is the power of the living God that is in us and flows through us. If you've ever experienced this, whether it's just in a small conversation with friends or it's something far more powerful and revelatory, you may be able to relate to what I'm saying. When you experience the power of the Spirit flowing through you, words can't describe this power. Your physical body doesn't know how to handle it. The only satisfactory response, the only thing you can help to do is to praise God. There's nothing else that satisfies the desire you have in those moments because that's what the Spirit does. Is it gives you power and points you to Christ. There's nothing else you can, you're able to do. And, you know, to... to um, Paul tells us the same thing in, uh, in Paul, uh, as he writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 7 through 9, he tells us that this is more than just boldness. He writes that, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. So we've been given this spirit of power for his purpose, our holy calling. So that's the first thing the Spirit does for us, is that um, the Holy Spirit gives us power. The second, which I referenced a bit earlier, is that the Holy Spirit points us to Christ. 
The Spirit is a witness to Christ and turns each and every one of us into witnesses as well. This is why he has come here. It is a wonderful thing that he gave us this power. It is truly wonderful. But the Holy Spirit ultimately came to earth so that our Father in heaven could be glorified. And any time his Son Jesus is glorified, he is glorified. That's what this power is for. And Jesus explains this about the Holy Spirit in John chapter 15 when he says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And Peter says something similar to the high priest and the council of Jerusalem after he's once again arrested in Acts chapter 5. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. The Holy Spirit does a lot of things, and again, there's a lot we're not going to get to today, but it, it doesn't just renew us or change our desires, which it absolutely does. But as you read here, it causes us to point to Christ by witnessing to his great sacrifice and the ways that Jesus has changed us and the entire world because he was willing to lay down his life. So the first is that the Holy Spirit gets us power. Second, the Holy Spirit points us to Christ. And the third thing we're going to talk about this morning is that the Holy Spirit reveals truth. The deepest and single most important truth in the world is the witnessing and pointing to Christ that we just talked about. And the Holy Spirit equips us to do this by not only revealing that deep truth about Jesus, but he also gives us wisdom, discernment, and knowledge in our life. The Spirit gives us these things because he is the only being in the whole universe who can comprehend the thoughts of God. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 something really astounding and amazing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 13. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now have we have received, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So God has given us many things freely, many, many blessings and many realities in our lives, but it is only the Spirit that allows us to understand them. And Peter reiterates the importance of this in one of his letters. He writes that, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The Spirit who is in us, God's Spirit who is in us, knows the inward thoughts of our Creator. Like our Father in heaven who made everything and is all-powerful. There is one being who knows not his expressed thoughts, but his inward thoughts. And that Holy Spirit is in us. He gives us a glimpse into the thoughts of our Creator, a deep and purposeful understanding of the world that we live in. Even the angels who live with God, serve God, praise Him in heaven, 
even they don't get this. They do not get that same glimpse that we get through the Holy Spirit. Why did God choose to show us this grace? We don't know. But it has been given to us, and it is a wonderful, wonderful, amazing privilege. And this isn't even getting to the fact that the Bible is spirit-breathed. It is God's Word, and it is the Spirit that enables us to understand it. Because when you read this book, it is the Holy Spirit speaking. You may be familiar with the concept of the armor of the Lord, which Paul instructs us to put on in Ephesians. As part of that armor, he tells us that we are given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So in our spiritual armor, the weapon, the thing that will help us drive away and protect our families, our sword, which I'm pretending to hold, (laughs) um, is the Holy Spirit speaking to us. It is the Word of God, this Bible. That is what we are given. We are given the Spirit, both in us and through the Bible, to protect our families, our friends, and our brothers and sisters in Christ and drive away the enemy. So the Holy Spirit gives us power, points us to Christ, and reveals truth, among many other things. But to what end? Why do we need these things from the Spirit? Jesus tells us why in Matthew 28, in a passage of Scripture that's commonly referred to as the Great Commission. Please turn with me to Matthew 28, verse 18. Here Jesus is speaking to his apostles after he's resurrected, and this is among the last things he communicates to them before he ascends into heaven to be seated on the throne next to his Father. So starting in verse 18 of Matthew 28, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are instructed to share the light, love, and truth of the gospel to everyone in the world. We evangelize to the world, baptize new believers, and we spend time with our brothers and sisters in Christ, building them up, learning to observe all that Jesus has taught. But that's just the middle of this great commission. Passage right here. Take a look at what comes right before and right after it, right after those instructions. First, Jesus tells us that all authority has been given to him. And then he tells us afterwards that he will be with us always until the end of the age, forever, till the end of time. So Jesus is declaring to his apostles that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. These men, once again, just spent three years with Jesus. (laughs) They saw him walk on water. They saw him heal the sick. They saw him have wisdom well beyond their comprehension. Like, they were like, you know, you know, many times they're like, how does Jesus understand this? They saw, and then above all, they saw Jesus himself raised from the grave, raised from the dead. And despite all this that they saw, Jesus wanted to make it crystal clear. He wanted to make sure they understand. All authority has been given to him. There is not a single thing in this world, in the cosmos, in heaven, in our own imaginations that Jesus does not have full and complete authority over. His apostles probably should have known this, just like we probably should have known this. But Jesus is reiterating this truth, not just for them, but for us as well. And the biggest evidence for his authority is actually in the title of this sermon series, The Risen King. Jesus has full authority over death itself. Death is an immutable property, to use a kind of computer science term. It's an immutable property of this world. 
To live in this world is to experience death every single day, every single year. It is an ever-present reality of this world. There's the joke about like the only thing guaranteed in life is death and taxes. You, if you try hard enough, you can avoid taxes in this world. You cannot avoid death. That is something you cannot run away from. And unfortunately for us, this is acutely true in this time period. We're in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. We're all, you know, you all are watching this from home. Um, you know, we're, we're asked not to leave our homes. We're doing a lot of things virtually. You may know friends and family who have gotten sick or even died. It is like death is even closer to many people now than it's ever been. And Jesus, full authority over death amongst all other things. Paul reminds us of this in Romans chapter 6, verse 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. And so Jesus lets us know that he, the person who gave us those commands in the Great Commission, and has complete authority over everything that was ever created, he lets us know that he will be with us forever. That's the promise of the risen king, that he will always be with us, and one of the ways he is with every believer is through the Holy Spirit who gives us everything we need to fulfill our calling. This promise is why Jesus tells his apostles that it's better that he goes away. He knows only that once he dies, is resurrected, ascends to heaven, then, only then, can they receive the true power that they need to bring the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Let's read the Great Commission again and ponder on it. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus has promised that he will be with us forever, on this earth and forevermore. Through that promise, we have power, real truth, peace that surpasses all understanding, and everlasting joy. If you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, you need to know that God has given you this same Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that I've been talking about this morning is in you. And we only have that Spirit because Jesus had to go through the cross for our sins so that he could get to the Father and then send us the Spirit. If your faith is in this same Jesus Christ, I invite you to participate in communion in your own home during the next song. It is during this time, among many others, that we remember Jesus' great sacrifice and his resurrection victory. Because of his great sacrifice, we have the opportunity to know our Father now through the Holy Spirit and eventually by dwelling with him forever. Let us close this morning by reading one more passage. This one's from Romans chapter 8, and it starts at verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, you are just good beyond our understanding. You are so amazing and you're so powerful that you have conquered death. You raised your son from the grave. Thank you for Jesus and his just unfathomable yet willing sacrifice. He suffered beyond what we're able to comprehend so that we could have a chance to spend our lives forever with you and, and experience your glory that is also not comprehensible. But in the meantime, you saw fit to go beyond that most amazing grace, which is Jesus dying on the cross, and give another, show us even more grace by giving us a gift of your Holy Spirit to live within us. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in Risen Hope and my brothers and sisters all around the world that you could help us just taste the power, the truth, the peace, and the joy that comes from your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would soften our hearts and still us so that we could hear your commands, that we could be guided and directed and given the wisdom and discernment that comes from being in communion with your Spirit, God. We ask all these things in Jesus' name.